Welcome to podcast number four. Podcast number four. Monster Baby. Boom. We are today exploring the world of shared control and the value and lessons that we get out of being willing to accept input from life that may deviate from, that may cause us to deviate from our plan. Yeah, we're drawing lessons from improv today. We didn't really get so much into... uh, Mindfulness. mindfulness and how that there's also shared control there yeah. we may get to that in a future episode yeah. but uh, but oh this was rich and we had lots of energy and mm-hmm. fun with this comes off the heels of our trip to recent trip to Phillips Exeter Academy mm-hmm. and our work with students and faculty and yeah. alumni well, there like a lot of pieces of the community there and this was the, the nugget that we really wanted to leave, leave folks with yeah so hope you enjoy the conversation and uh, we'll come back to you on the on the back side of it but uh, thanks again so much for joining us yeah enjoy okay We are super excited. We've been, uh, we released our first three episodes in one fell swoop, got this whole thing going. And, yeah, uh, and people have been listening and they, and you like it. <laughs> so we're really, really excited. Yeah, super appreciate your listening in because that is, uh, wow, is that rewarding to yeah. put this out into the world and know that some folks are choosing to spend their time with us and uh, really appreciate it. So today, we are freshly back from a trip to lovely springtime New England and to the Phillips Exeter Academy in Exeter, New Hampshire, where we were doing a whole host of things. We worked with some alums and uh, donors and trustees. Who and students. We visited classrooms and were present and involved in the groundbreaking of the new theater and performing arts center. And it was wonderful to continue building this relationship. This relationship started when we worked with a lot of the faculty of Exeter last summer at a, at a mindful play workshop retreat in Maine. And so it's been really wonderful to continue building that, that, that relationship. And we also did a talk for the whole student body at their Friday assembly. And the topic of that talk was shared control. Yeah, we had 1,100 students there and uh, we got into shared control and did a little game with them to start, which we think we might share with you as well, or another version of it. But yeah, that was kind of a little nerve-wracking. I don't often get nervous speaking in front of people anymore, but uh, my heart was spluttering. Yeah, well, I feel happy that we uh, did something that was not a sure bet. Yeah, it's cool to take a little risk. I was like, this could... We could go down in flames here. (laughs) This could be a train wreck. Yeah. And let's try it. Yeah. Yeah, and we had heard legend about this particular audience, the Exeter student body, that they have high standards. And uh, they've had some, some cool people go through there. But they've had some people go through who were well-renowned and who, I guess, didn't hold their, hold their attention, hold the students' attention, and it got a little... Well, the, I feel like the words that people used were, oh, this audience will turn on you if they smell fear. <laughs> I feel like those were, that's what they said. It's like, if they, if they sense that you're, that you're bullshitting them, they will turn on right. you. Right. Uh, or if you're blowing smoke up their ass, or if you're kissing up, or if you're whatever. And so, <laughs> I don't know exactly what 1,100 people turning on you feels like or looks like, but right. we didn't want to find out. <laughs> I, I thought at minimum that the turning would be like, just everybody's looking at their cell phones. A complete lack of interest. Yeah. Yeah. And like, okay. And we had also, we all, we knew that their time was valuable. And so it was like, you need to end at this certain time. And we were 
the assembly is 30 minutes and we were uh, given, we thought we were going to have 25, turned out we had 22. So yeah, we had to do a little adjustment. Yeah, anyway, so so we did, I think we did a great job. I think it went really well. Yeah, we had fun. I was really happy with it. And we started with an introduction one word at a time. Yeah. It was great to try something new that we had not really rehearsed in front of a thousand people happily the result was positive when we finished they applauded <laughs> spontaneously and i was proud of us <laughs> okay so that's <laughs> There's our taste of our word at a time intro. That's kind of how it works. Uh, that we did, yeah. We hadn't rehearsed that just now either. Yeah, that was, that was spontaneous as well. In case you were wondering. Yeah, as well polished as it, as it, seemed, <laughs> as it seemed. Seamless. Uh, I think it's important to note that as we're going into this podcast here that we are uh, in the annex at Bats Improv in San Francisco. So there's a new little recording space for us and you may hear ambient sounds. There may be a beeping, backing up truck that goes by. You may hear some seagulls. You may hear some people talking out uh, outside the window. Or the ancient pipes in this 70-year-old oh, right. building. That sound a little bit like somebody uh, passing gas. So yeah. it won't be us, I'm confident. But you won't know. <laughs> <laughs> so forgive the noises if you hear them. Yeah. But so sharing control, this is... a. Um, this is a notion that's so crucial in improv... Why does that matter so much in improv? Because it's the only way that it works. Hmm. I, I think that it's the only way that it works well is if you're sharing control with the people that you're on stage with. And, right, the, the idea, I mean, for those of you who are not schooled in the arts of improvisation, shared control just refers to picking up on the offers from your partner and building upon them and letting go of your ideas if if your offer's partner does not, if your if your partner's offer doesn't doesn't mirror your your offer or your idea, you right? let go of yours. You let go of yours. So you adapt to what's happening rather than what you came in with. And in my opinion, if all you want to do is stick with the ideas that you already had when you stepped on stage, you should go be a playwright or a sketch writer, where you can where you're the only brain that matters. You can just sit in a room and write down your ideas and and be be. And end up with your ideas. Right. Or be a stand-up comedian so that you can go on stage alone and deliver your ideas. Or <laughs> if you're doing improvisation, the whole point is the collaboration with somebody else and the surprise and where you get to together. Yeah. So sharing control, the shared control is the name for that process of accepting your partner's ideas, building off of them, and both of you being informed by the others. You could be you could do improv and go out and do a monologue. And that might be a beautiful improvisation. It might be a nice balance to some other scenes that have shown up that night. But if that's all we ever see, and if every time, I, if I'm an improviser and every time I come out on stage, I end up doing a monologue, people are going to get pretty sick of playing with me because I'm just, I don't ever give anything to them. Yeah. I, I have seen solo improv shows that still share control. Oh, interesting. So this one person did, this was in Atlanta, and I forget his name, so I apologize if somehow he's listening, <laughs> but... He did an improv show called, I think it was called Mixtape or something, where he got another improviser to put together a soundtrack. Okay. And he did, but he never heard it before the show. 
Right. So he did a one per, kind of a one person show where it, that it was silent. It was without dialogue, and it was all he played all of the different characters, and it was all of these different vignettes that that were responding to the music that was playing that he had never heard before. So it was music. It wasn't dialogue on the tape. That's right. Huh. It was music. It was okay. it was a soundtrack. Yeah. He had somebody put together a soundtrack. So even he, though he was the only person on stage, was sharing control with this input that he had had not could not anticipate. And I think that's some of what the audience loves is that, ooh, we don't know where it's going to go. They don't know where it's going to go. How are they going to make sense of this new input and integrate it with their own thought so it fits? In fact, I think that I couldn't agree more. And I think that the one of the things that the audience finds particularly enjoyable is when they can tell that an improviser had one idea and a yes. second improviser comes on stage and defines defines that person as doing something else or in a different location and they watch that first improviser change to accept what that person, what the second person defined. So let's, they love that. Yeah, let's give a specific example. Like if I come on stage and I think I'm opening a jar. And I come on stage and I say, great, we only have 14 more squirrel necks to break. Exactly. So the twisting motion I was making, I'm now, oh, I'm letting go of my jar idea because now I've just killed a squirrel, toss off the next one, pick up another one. Right. And if we watch you good-naturedly accept my offer, which, which the audience can tell was different than your first one, they fall in love with you a little bit, and they get excited about where this is going next because neither one of us are, were, it, is totally in control. So cool. So cool. So it, it's, it's, it's a, yeah. One of the things that I find about improv, I just, this is what's thrilling, uh, is being on stage and getting to the end of it and knowing... That could not have happened without me. Like, my fingerprints are on that scene. My influence is clear, it's registered, and yet there's no way it would have gone there without that other person or the other people. And so it becomes this unique creation or combination of our influences, and so now something is we can celebrate that, that is ours together. Right. And it's particularly unique to that moment, to us, this constellation of people and space and time. Yeah, and wouldn't have been the same if it were not for any one of the pieces, any one of the people. Yeah. The, I have had shows that are incredible where I feel like I hardly did anything. Mm -hmm. And everybody else felt that way too. And yet something great happened. Something incredible happened. Yeah. But all, all of us were just like, just doing the next thing, kind of. Right. It, 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 it almost... Uh, yeah, yeah. So that at the end of the night, I'm like, I have no idea. I really, I have no idea how that, <laughs> how that right. happened. It's this like trance state sometimes where you come out of it. I come out of it and, and I'm, I'm baffled by how that all just came together, mm -hmm. which is just so delicious. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have used a, an exercise in our workshops um, that has always fascinated me. And it's kind of like a crystallized or concentrated version of what happens on a stage. So what happens on a stage is so complex, there's so many inputs. But we do this thing we call line at a time drawing. And I forget, I guess I learned it from Court Worthington who teaches improv and leadership, but I'm sure he got it. Johnstone. Johnstone, it's okay. It's a Johnstone thing. Okay, so yeah. Keith Johnstone again. And um, you know, the notion is you've got a blank piece of paper and uh, we've, we've done it as a, a line at a time muse or a line at a time deity. and on the blank piece of paper, there's just two dots, which maybe are gonna be eyes or maybe not. And you can have just one pen or one marker. Uh, one person makes a gesture, a line, a circle, a dot. 
uh, and then puts the pen down. The next person picks it up and makes another. And just you go back and forth, one line at a time. And maybe you add to what your partner did. Maybe you start something new. But um, eventually this image emerges that is this unique combination. So cool to watch. Mm -hmm. And we've come up with these incredible muses or incredible deities who show up uh, through this process. I'm always, whenever I've done it, I've always been really reminded of my own tendency, like, oh, part of me, I just want to control this. I want to get in and make the eye specific and finish up the detail. But or, or I want to I want to make a line that is technically only one line, but covers enough of the page so that my partner really knows what this is supposed to look like. That's right. So yeah. they really get that this should be the shape of the face, or they really get that this is what the eyebrows are going to look like. Or yeah, and so that's kind of like tightening into that control thing and yet when I can remember to just let go I'm like no let's let me respond to what they're doing and I'll come back and maybe I'll come back and make another gesture over here to make this chin look like a chin or what I think it would be yeah. um, it just comes out way better yeah it, it, yeah that process of being willing to to throw your contribution into the world and and wait with with curiosity about what it's going to turn into, knowing that it is, it is highly unlikely that it will end up how you anticipated it or yeah. how you envisioned it. And it reminds me of, of a, a trip I took to Buenos Aires and we took a street art tour. There's a ton of street art murals on buildings and walls and stuff in Buenos Aires. And so we took this tour led by these women who know a lot of the street artists and things. And this one thing that she said I loved, which was... An artist puts a, you know, puts a piece on a wall, and then, and, and there's a, and then other artists want their name to be associated. If it's good, other artists want their names to be associated with it, or want their work to be associated with it. So they add to it. Hmm. And there are codes of ethics around. You don't, you know, you don't put don't. your name over the face of okay. a, a figure if if a, if there's a. a a human or a creature or something in that original mural. There are areas that you leave blank, so there's etiquette to how you can contribute to the to the art. But a, an artist puts it there, assuming it's going to be added to, knowing it's going to have extra. by other artists. Yes, and that there is there is a once you put it up there, it's no longer yours. It's only yours when it's in the vision in your head. Mm. You put it out in the world, and it ceases to belong to you. Now it belongs to the world. And it belongs to all of the artists who see it, and it belongs to all of the people who add to it. And it, that struck me as so improvisational, in that I have this idea in my head of how things are going to go, but I put it out into the world, and then right. it, is the, it belongs to the world. And all of the inputs that I get from the people and the places and the, the other offers that come, that come at me and build on that offer. Now, did these murals end up looking chaotic? Some of them, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, and that's sometimes what happens when we share control. Right. And uh, right. I don't think that's a bad thing. I right. think the chaos can be really beautiful. Yes. And and this lovely product. And the same is true of improvisation. It's like yeah. it's highly messy and oftentimes bizarre and doesn't quite make sense. A lot of times it does make sense, but um but I, befriending chaos is helpful in the in the process, yeah. and also truly releasing ownership over how your idea ends up being used. Huge. Huge. So the, so I think it's important to to mention that what we talked about at Exeter was not just sharing control with your partners or how improvisers use shared control, but rather the idea that 
you can have a plan for your life, but life has plans as well, or life has input as well. And that if you consider your life more like a word at a time conversation where you say something or a line at a time drawing where you make your mark and then, and then you get more information on which to base your next move. That's right. And that, and that the trick would be to stay open to what is coming at you from life. Yeah. And that we, that we delivered the bad news to those kids. You know, we said, Oh, sorry to tell you, right. You're not in control of your life and you may well have been trained to think that you should be, mm-hmm. you know, plan your, plan your sequence of courses that will get you from here to college X. Yeah. And I feel like that language is everywhere. Like I've been given that language. What's your five year plan? What are the steps you're going to take to get there? And I've never had one to, to the, to the dismay of many, of many people who have really urged me, urged me to make a plan and set my sights yes. and work toward it. And part of me, the answer I've always had, and I never, well, yeah, the answer that I've always had is my five-year plan, my, my goal for where I am in five years depends entirely on what happens between now and five years from now. Yeah. Like, I cannot, t- I could not tell you that I'd be where I am today, right, right. five years ago, so how could I possibly think that I know where I'm going to end up or where I want to end up in five years from now? Right, so you can set an intention or a guide star that you say, okay, that's where I want to go, but hold lightly to that, or not even hold on to it, just put it out in the distance on the horizon, like, that's where I think I'm going. But the point of that is not, I'm going there, the point is, that's going to lead me on the adventure. That's going to get me moving. And then once I'm moving, I'm paying more attention to what's happening, Mm -hmm. well, how do I need to adjust now? Because that's life offering me something in return to play with, and so, okay, maybe a year from now, I'll be like, mm, that guy's star is not right anymore. I got to shift it. Yeah. You know, and, and but it's a, it is, a, it's, I think it's fair and good to have intentions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. So this, this brings us to what I think is such a fascinating combination in improvisation, which is the combination of boldness and adaptability. Mm. Because I think in life, you rarely have this combination so close together. Do you mean with other people in life or with life itself? I don't know. I mean, in life. I'm not sure. Exactly. Just sort of in life. Yeah. Just like when, because either you have a super bold plan. Right. And it means you're like putting a stake in the ground and you're standing by, you made a decision and this is it. And I'm, I'm strong. There's strength in that. I'm strong about it. And it's, it it is tied to, uh, to being unwavering. Right. And adaptability needs to follow right on the heels of that boldness in improvisation. So that in one moment, I am, I am making a super bold offer, and at, at, in the next moment, I am willing to completely abandon it for what else is actually happening, mm. based on the information I'm getting. And it is rare that we make a really bold move in life and then are willing to drop it like that. Yes, I see. Right? Yeah. Because if we're making a super bold offer in life, generally it's, I've thought about this, and this is exactly what I want, and I know it's what I want, and so I'm going to go for it. And it's like holding on tenaciously to that direction. Because if we don't, then people will think, oh, they're flip-flopping. or They're they, a failure. They, don't know. they couldn't hack yep. it. Yep. It's not, you know... They, they don't have they, discipline. They don't have discipline. They're, yeah, exactly. They're, they, don't have, they're not, they don't have enough willpower. Well, maybe it's like, no, I have more information now. Right. So my mom retired. And then... And then came out of retirement because she found that she, she's a nurse practitioner and her work gave her a lot of meaning and she retired because she was kind of like, yeah, it's about time to retire and it'd be great to travel with, you know, with my dad. And, 
uh, it'll be good to be available, so I'll retire. But she retired and she found that she was like really lacking that, that meaning hmm. and actually kind of struggled with, struggled with that and struggled with the decision to come out of retirement and go back to work. Right. Because she was like, no, I retired. Like, they had a party for me. Yeah, whoops. I can't, right? There's, I made this yep. bold move. It feels like I should yeah. stick to it somehow. Yeah. And when she reframed it to, no, you made this step you needed to make with the information that you had, which was pointing you to, yeah, it's time to retire. Now that you've done that, you have new information, which is pointing you in another direction, and you owe it to your life to follow those road signs. So let me let me offer you a bit of vulnerability here because this is an interesting question. It's an active question in my life. It has been for years. So I think that when I first learned improv back in college that I really was drawn to the message. I had been much more strategic and visionary as a kid, like I'm going to get here. But I really resonated with the improv way. And I think, you know, I've gone on this path, like wandered around. <laughs> so my college roommate, Charles, First day we met when we got to school, he wanted to be a surgeon. And he did human, bio, hum, human biology, and he went to med school, and he went to his residency, and he became a hand surgeon. He's now one of the best hand surgeons in the country. Wow. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, and he knew that from day one. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And I chose my major junior year. Yeah, okay, and I'm sort of individually designed. And, and then I wandered off, and I did this job, and in New England and I came back to California and I went did some retail customer service and then I and I went to business school I mean I just have done this wandering thing with divinity school and teaching and it's been very improvisational and I think I've done a good job of being in conversation with life and listening and I sometimes wonder is this all an elaborate justification mm. to cover up my lack of discipline, of my lack of direction, my la because I, I think, you know, if I had just stuck to it on something, I would be so much farther along. On that thing. On the, well, but so even with improv, right? I loved improv. Well, if I had stayed with improv from college and not gone off for 20 years, you know, then come, I, well, who knows what I could be doing with improv? Yeah. I could be a great improviser. Yeah. Okay, well, I wouldn't have all this mindfulness seasoning to it, probably, or I don't know, all the other flavors that I've got in my improv mix now. Right. But sometimes I wonder that. Like, is it just an elaborate, uh, sexy or sophisticated ruse of a justification to say, oh, no, you're, you're fine because you're following this improviser's path, and it's really skillful relationship with life. You know, I actually do believe that to be true. Yeah. And there's part of me that wonders if I'm... Just kind of making that You're up. Letting yourself off the hook. Yes. Okay. So. so and what's yeah. the hook? I don't I have, know. What's the hook? Why am I so on I any two, hook at all? I right. have two thoughts about that. Okay. The first one is I asked the same question, <laughs> uh -huh. and I was working with a life coach for a while who was kind of helping me clarify my priorities, and she put it really well. She said, "You." Uh, she she talked about it in in the terms of connection versus direction. Mm -hmm. So I was talking about teaching and how often I go into teaching with an idea of what I want to explore, but no clear plan with how long I'm going to do this, how long I'm going to do this, why I'm going to do the next thing, how this is going to build on that, like not a clear direction, but trusting that I'll kind of know what comes next in the room. And honestly, it, it sometimes stresses me out because that, un, that unknown 
because I get into the room and I there's just a lot of input yeah. and I am not I don't always know exactly what comes next and it would be nice to have a set plan. Right. So and she said you're you're high on connection skills. Like I'm I'm really I put a lot I put a lot a high premium on what's happening now, noticing what's happening now, like really getting into this moment and letting it carry the day. Right? And you, you pick up on what other people are feeling and sensing and, yeah, exactly. and how they're doing. Yeah. Connecting to the moment, connecting to the other people in that moment with yeah. me. And then I could beef up my direction skills. Okay. Right? Of like, yeah, I hear what's going on, but I have a plan and it's a good one and let's go. Can we say, and you have a plan? Sure. <laughs> yes, Ted, we can. We can say that. Um, so... So, so that so that's an open question for me as well. Yeah. That that it could be that I need to supplement my adaptability with some boldness. Right. Of direction. Of direction. Yeah. The second thing is a, a a note about being on the hook or letting yourself off the hook, and that is redefining the idea that the path of least resistance is a bad thing. Right. That there's this sense that if it's worth having. You've got to like put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And work yeah. to get there, you know, and face adversity and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get knocked down to get yourself back up again. And then there's this other model <laughs> of life, which is maybe if we're getting knocked down so much in pursuit of this thing, it's the wrong thing, yeah. right? Which, which holds a belief that, that you do get input from reality or life about what direction maybe makes sense to go and that following the yes like following where it is the most easy where you are getting the most reinforcement where the the doors are opening more easily for you that that is a great way to decide what your next move is rather than this single-minded bullheaded focus on this other thing that you've decided is the thing and this is another place where improv lines up beautifully with mindfulness or Buddhism and Eastern philosophies. Because in Taoism, you know, you've got this notion of uh, going action through inaction. It's called Wu Wei. And so what's the, what's the, which way is the river pulling you? Mm-hmm. Go with that. Where's the current going? Where's the current going? So so, just lift your feet up and let yourself be taken. Where will you go? Yeah, and you can still have a rudder. So you still have some influence and you can change and move with it in different ways. But you're not trying to go upstream. There's no fault in trying to go upstream. So I think, you know, this is where I come back to sort of give myself some compassion and say, yeah, you're, you're choosing to live your life in this more Eastern way. Now, I'm still a Westerner, but, uh, or and, haha. <laughs> <laughs> and so he catches himself as well. <laughs> that that is a, it's a way to live one's life. And that it doesn't have to be, um, one of the things I love about this shared control is that it means you find more discovery and delight. So I think we've mentioned it already in an earlier podcast that if we say yes to life, we're rewarded by rewarded by adventure. If we say no, we're rewarded by control. Right, which is a quote by Keith Johnston. Yeah, and if if we want control... Or safety. Yeah. Safety, right. Rewarded by the safety they attain. Thank you. Um, then great. And so if I'm strategic and I've got my goals and I... I may get where just where I intended to get. Right. Successful. Yeah. And I may look around and go, oh, but you know what? I don't really want to be here anymore. Right. This isn't what I want. And it's been so, um, I have taken this approach in this last couple of years um, of sharing control with life. And partly from 
getting some uh, advice from Patricia Ryan Madsen, our mentor, uh, when I was teaching religious studies and philosophy back in New England at a boarding school, much like Exeter, uh, had a great life. I loved my job. I loved the kids. It was a gorgeous place. I had a beautiful home, got paid relatively well. I had summers off, professional development funds. All that was great. And my heart was like, I need to do, I need to do something that's more in line with who I am as a whole being that includes this mindfulness and improv and contemplative practice and positive reinforcement. And so I was pretty ready to leave, but I was a bit nervous about doing so because I thought, God, you're leaving behind 12 years of community and structure and legacy. And so I called Patricia and she said, you know, the cool thing is you don't need to know the end of the story. You just need to figure out what comes next. What an invitation that is to share control with life. And so I was like, okay, I don't know what else there is. I know I need to go to California. Mm -hmm. I know I want to hang out with Lisa. I know I want to be in San Francisco. I know I want to connect with the improv community there and other friends there. Okay, I'm going. And so since then, it's been this kind of in and out path. Some days I feel super lonely and wonder if I'm going to make it and if I'm doing what I set out to do and am I being disciplined, all the things we've mentioned already. And then other days it just feels exquisite, like, oh, this is great. I couldn't have imagined it being this good. So this is interesting because you just a moment ago were, I won't say scolding yourself, but questioning whether you were letting right. yourself off the hook by taking this path of least resistance. And I would not describe what you just said as the path of least resistance. Mm. Like, you chose a harder thing. It would have been far easier to stay right. to stay in your comfortable job, in your comfortable home, with your comfortable friends and community, and all of this good stuff you have built up over the last 12 years of working at NMH. And you left it because there was this information from life that was saying, yeah, I think you've got to go over here. Right, yeah, it's what, what is the resistance? Yeah, I mean, you plunged into the unknown in, in search of saying yes to that offer. Yeah. And that is not the easier choice in that... In that Example, I would argue. Well, so let's think about that. So I was saying no to that adventure because it kept me safer. Um, hmm. Yeah, and then saying yes. Right, it's not that it's... Well, it's not that the, going on the adventure doesn't mean effortlessness, but there has been a certain kind of ease to what I've done out here. And, and I've, I've not done the nose to the grindstone thing. You know, I, I've been very fortunate that way. I've had, I've had support in some ways that has allowed me to do that. Um, but I'm not working a crazy amount. I, and that was partly my intention because I wanted to have time to meditate and to go on walks and to talk with my family and talk with my friends. And so I have that now. And I make less money than I did. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's cool. Um, but, well, yeah, there's this... I just... There's some belief floating out here that nose to the grindstone is the only kind of work that matters or that yeah. that's how you earn your happiness or your success. That's, right. that's the path to, to really, uh, to, to that kind of success. And it's like, I mean, I guess you could have decided that through discipline and hard work, you were going to become the headmaster at NMH right. and decided to take those steps and really worked. And <laughs> You know, you could have, you could do that. You yeah. have the the capability to do that. There but, might have been a few roadblocks put in my way for that <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say that this is not to say that your college roommate Charles, who knew that he wanted to be a surgeon and 
took the steps that would get him there and then he got there, he might have the perspective that he is living the dream and he probably is, you know, or he may be. Like, this is what I wanted and I got it and I am proud and happy and this is awesome. So it's not that, that that's not a way to go. Right. But like your situation, you didn't have that con- con- conviction in the direction you were going. So it's like, it's kind of like not even worth exploring, oh, should I have had more discipline to right. pursue this direction? There was no clear direction for you <laughs> to pursue. Yeah. So it would be, it would be uh, arbitrary. Right. Well, what's funny is, of course, you know, he and I had that little grass is greener exchange. So, you know, I always looked at him and went, wow, that's so cool. He knew what he wanted to do and he went and did it and he busted his buns to become a doctor and I was great. And he always looked at me and went, wow, Ted follows his heart and he's got freedom and he's doing just what he wants to do and he doesn't feel weighed down and he's free to move. And Okay. So, you know, we each get our own, our own benefit. Right. Right. So then following the path of least resistance, following the yeses, following where you get energy feels like a, a choice for how you live your life and how you make your decisions. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to loop back around to what we were saying about that line at the time drawing because this was one of the insights that has really been fueling me lately is that I feel like sometimes, as I would try to control the line at the time drawing, I get focused in on trying to control something in my life without listening to life's offers. So I get locked in and like, okay, I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to start a class that's going to happen uh, I'm going to do a mindfulness for improvisers class that's going to happen this way at this time and I'm locked in and I'm, I stop listening to life rather than saying let me put the idea of a mindfulness for improvisers class out into the world and then see what comes back mm-hmm. and be patient about it and then give another line you know make another gesture with life right it's not that it doesn't require Effort or participation, or participation or contribution from you. Right. It's just that through the will, through the the sheer power of your will alone, that you are only one part of the story. Yeah. You can't control reality. Right. This and, would be another great time for me to find that Alan Watts quote, and I don't have it. <laughs> so I'll find it for some episode yeah. of Monster Baby. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm really taken by the idea of how much trust is involved in sharing control. Yes. I'm really Im- I'm impressed by it, or it, it, it brings me up short sometimes to think about how much you have to trust that just because you don't know what information you'll have at the next step doesn't mean you won't have it when you get there. Right. So it takes kind of this... Um, you've got to believe that, yeah, go to California, the world will look different from there, and then you'll have more information yeah. with which to, to make your next move. And just because you can't see what that move is now doesn't mean you're going to be stranded. There's always something in the box. There's always something. Yeah. My, just... my piano teacher in... Oh, I think, I think this was high school when she gave me this advice. Her name is Mrs. Morris, and she was very dear to me. Still is. Lives across the street from my parents. And I was wrestling with whether to stop doing this one after-school activity and start this other one, and what will I do? I'm leaving all my friends in this place, and I don't know if this other thing is going to be as good or not. And she gave me this visual image that I really helped me, which was of a trapeze artist hmm. who's got to let go with both hands of one bar, bar before 
before she will be close enough to the next to grab onto it. So there's going to be this period of time where yes. we, we're not there, we're not in either place yet, right? right. We're, we're, we've left that last bar, we have not yet hung onto the next bar, but I trust that when I need to hang onto it, it's going to be clo- It's going to be within my reach. Mm. That, yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Andre Gide. He says, uh, one does not discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Same kind of message. Same thing. You gotta let go and then be in that liminal space for a while. Yeah. Before something, the next step makes itself known to you. Yeah. Well, one of the things that one of the blessings from improv is that hanging out in that liminal space, as you just said, that in between space between the notes becomes fun and not terrifying. Yes. That that is like the. It's actually the. Instead of, you know, it becomes the moment we all look forward to or we're hoping for. And it's like this pregnant with possibility. And then something happens and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so then we seek that out. Instead of grieving the loss of the last step, we are just filled with giddiness and eagerness and excitement and curiosity for like, ooh, what will happen? What will it be? What will happen next? And because something will happen next. Of course, something always happens. Yeah. Never does nothing happen. Never. That sounds like a. That sounds like a um, commencement address, or a polish. Never. Does nothing happen. <laughs> yes, yes, that's my platform. Guys. Class of two thousand sixteen. That's my platform. That's yeah. how. That's what I'm running on. Lisa Rowland for president. Now, now there is an idea. Never does nothing happen. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, if, if God, if there's a message to that I'm chewing on lately, it's this notion of sharing control can be fun. And when I hang out with people who don't like to share control, I'm like, mm, don't really want to hang out with this person. Mm-hmm. When I hang out with people who do, it's so delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to do that with life is like, yeah, that's how I want to live. I like that. Indeed. Teddy likey. Teddy likey. <laughs> Teddy likey. Mm. <laughs> Lisa doesn't like I'm that. I'm grossed out by the phrase Teddy likey. <laughs> Teddy really likey. It likeys it. <laughs> um, okay, I think it's time to wrap up. I, I think, think we're going to let you all go. And we really appreciate your listening, so thank you so much. And we are going to see you next time. Yeah, and uh, I hope that you get the opportunity to play around with sharing control with somebody or something in your life and yeah. see what it's like and maybe, you know, hang out in that in-between space a little bit, enjoy the pregnant pause. and See if you can choose to love it instead of be uh, stressed out by it. Yes. If you're the type who gets stressed out by unknowns. Maybe you're already down with all this you're totally into it we'll have you on the podcast you can come teach us yeah thanks all right (laughs) thanks for listening and uh, we love you all and be well see you later Pleasure to have you with us. That was a fun little conversation. Yeah, I really liked it. I'm also super juiced about sharing control. It feels like a really fertile topic. And I, I, I'm psyched because even though we had just given this talk at Exeter, we didn't stick just to that plan. And so we're kind of sharing control with the topic itself. Yeah. Seeing what emerged and what stories come up. And yeah. yeah, I think uh, uh, ascribing to the belief that the delight is in the unexpected. Yeah, a discovery. Delight and discovery just seem to go so together. Yeah. And 
that seems to be what comes out of sharing control. So it's cool. I enjoyed doing that in our conversation here today. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. um, so hey, folks, if you uh, are interested in exploring more of this stuff in person, we invite you to come to one of our Mindful Play Playful Mind retreats. We've got one going on in Maine in June, although that one looks like it's pretty close to full, but uh, you never know for certain, so get on board if you want to. Yeah, get in touch with us. And our, uh, we also have one over Labor Day weekend, the beginning of September, in Petaluma, which is just north of San Francisco in the and, Bay Area. Yeah, both uh, the coast of Maine and Petaluma are absolutely gorgeous and delicious food and great people and yeah. super memorable experiences. It's become a, a, a necessary ingredient in the formula to do this, do these retreats in, in stunningly, naturally beautiful places. <laughs> And partly that's just because we love going there. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing is if you, uh, you know, you want to connect with us more, you can go to monsterbabypodcast.com. Maybe you've already been there and that's how you got to here. Yeah, you can contact us at ted at monsterbabypodcast.com or lisa at monsterbabypodcast.com. Or if you want to just be generic, go with info at monsterbabypodcast.com. We have so many options here. Oh, so many options. Just the range of possibilities. <laughs> Copy us all on all of those. <laughs> Send everybody a note. Warm up the pipelines there. And uh, please, if you would, subscribe and share this with your friends. We, we want to create this little Monster Baby community. Yeah, we're interested in, I mean, I mean both of us believe so strongly in this, the, the value of the lessons that come out of here. And, and I'll speak for myself in saying I would love to share it with as many people as it might be able to help. You can speak for me and say that too. I will also speak for Ted in saying that <laughs> Ted, 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 supports this message, endorses this message. <laughs> My name is Ted DeMaison, and I support Lisa Rowland's message. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we want to spread this far and wide, and, and it'll come in due time, but uh, we so appreciate your listening in, and look forward to connecting with you next time. Yeah, thanks so much. Right. Ciao, ciao.